On this episode of Bootstrappers, we're going to speak with Paul Vicheski of the Real Estate Classroom about Fair Housing and American Disabilities Act and how those laws are being enforced in a different way this year. That's next. Welcome to Bootstrappers, a unique program designed to help make your business better. From property management to remote workers, Bootstrappers is here to help your business succeed. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. So let's lace up those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to this episode of Bootstrappers. I'm your host, Gwen Aspen, here with my lovely spouse, Jeremy. Still lovely. <laughs> Jeremy Aspen. And uh, at Bootstrappers, we like to talk about topics that are important to real estate and property management entrepreneurs. I'm super excited about the show because we have the amazing Paul Vicheski here. Uh, it's Hi. the other one. <laughs> Paul Vicheski here. Vichesky. The other Paul Vicheski, yeah. Paul is, uh, he's really a great property management educator here in the Omaha area. He is the executive vice president at Nebraska Realty and director of Randall School of Real Estate and has an extremely successful YouTube channel called The Real Estate Classroom with almost 7,000 subscribers. Damn. So I know there are that many landlords in Nebraska. So we're going to talk to Paul about new things going on with the Fair Housing and American Disabilities Act. Bootstrappers is powered by Anaquim. We help transform and scale your business, improve profitability, and whether it's virtual <clears throat> assistance, a 24-hour hotline, maintenance issues, leasing, uh, or just full-blown back office support, we've got you covered. And if you're a fan of the show, please like and subscribe. Tell all your friends and <laughs> um, go to the bio section or the notes section of both YouTube and Instagram and leave us a nice message. We have a book giveaway for the nicest message. Um, we'll tell you what that book is at the end of the show. So thanks for coming in, Paul. My pleasure. A little backstory there. Paul and I used to do radio together years ago for a long, like seven years. That was a long. So, yeah. So this kind of feels homey again. Yeah. You guys sound old because you are on radio. <laughs> no one really does radio anymore, but oh, we'll forget that. Except, except our <laughs> producer. <laughs> Uh, I just dug myself a U-tool. Shoot. Okay. Anyway. Those were good times. That was fun. I love that. You should have an an episode just about that. Matt, you hold fuck. Okay. Anyway, so I want to talk to you about Fair Housing American Disabilities Act because you called us on Saturday and you were like, oh my gosh, you guys, you have to do more training on this area. There are lots of changes. I was in a hurry, so I didn't really ask you what you meant by it. I was like, oh, well, let's just have you on the show. We'll talk about it. So last night, I'm doing research, and I don't see like anything different about either Fair Housing or American Disabilities Act that I could find. And so I, I know, not that I'm like disputing, you know, I know you know what you're talking about, but can you explain to us when you think of changes, what are you really referring to? So I needed a, a method to get you to call me back. So I tried to <laughs> so scare the crap out of you. But so, so there really hasn't been the dick pics didn't do it. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. You're married to this guy? I can't take him anywhere. Oh, jeez. No, no, seriously, the, you. there hasn't been too many changes yet. There are some things on the horizon, I think, that the Biden administration is going to implement, like creating a, a new protected class called source of income. So you'd have to accept things like Section 8 vouchers and whatnot. But that hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen. But what I was really shocked about is the level of enforcement 
Now, some of it is because the Biden administration is a lot more aggressive with that than even Obama or Trump. And the second part is, is we're coming out of COVID and a lot of money went to nonprofits, including the fair housing nonprofits. And to mm -hmm. get that money, they had to put plans together. This is what we're going to do with it. And for them, it all evolves around enforcement. The enforcement side of things has ratcheted up. And as we get further and further into the, the vaccinations for COVID and things get back to normal, it's going to be exponential. Okay, so we, tell tell our listeners how you know so much about this enforcement being harsher these days. Sure. Well, first of all, if you have 7,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel, you get a lot of people that call, hey, I have a property management company, and this is what's happening. The other thing is, is I do a lot of training, sensitivity training, and that is where a property management company had a complaint filed against them, and part of their consent decree meaning they pled guilty or they were found guilty, one component is always education. So then I call it dumb, dumb school, like when you get a speeding ticket. You should hear the stories. Uh, yeah, know, crazy. We know Paul really well. Uh, how come I'm not surprised you call it dumb, dumb school? Well, is that's that what the they PC? Call the... Is that the politically correct no. term? No, no. The, the fair housing directors at the nonprofits hate that when I say that. But, uh, but no, it really is. It's, it's what I call it. And, and then I go in and I do training. And then what happens is it's a tight-knit community, so then other managers start talking or they find out that so-and-so got nailed, so then they're like, we better get our house in order, so then they're calling for, for regular training. So that's, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of like everybody's managing broker to a certain extent. But also, when someone does have a fair housing violation, you're seeing a change in the way that they, they even work with you, right? Like they're really digging into your training the, the enforcers, right? To make sure that you're providing the correct dum-dum school, if you will. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. That's something that I've never really experienced before. And I've done hundreds of training sessions. And what I'm finding is the, so, so the, do the, the investigator shows up and then they write the stipulation order, whatever the case may be, and the, here's your punishment. And then they're starting to dictate what type or what areas of fair housing they need training in. So then they're calling me going, I need this specific type of, of training. Does your course include that? So then I'll say, yeah, that's fine. And then they'll call back and say, well, I need a copy of your course outline for the investigator. And that's new. That is new. I've only had that happen one other time. I had to do sensitivity training for a condo regime that got nailed. And that was the only time in my 20 years of doing this. And I've had it probably this happen a dozen or 15 times in the last two months alone. Okay. Wow. I also think it's, oh, it's generally a good idea to frame this thing, right? So fair housing is like, it's an enemy to our industry. I mean, it's considered to be an, an enemy, but if you look at it a little bit differently, I think something we can all appreciate is that we do all want to have a country where we're fair, right? So the rules and everything that they put in place, they do have a legitimate place. Um, I think, though, that the, that the problem that the fair housing organizations usually have is what you brought up earlier, and that it's enforcement. And that becomes their main objective. Right. Like to, it's more punitive than it is assisting to a property management company. So we always start off being somewhat afraid of fair housing, when really, I think we should embrace it and try to help make sure that everybody's as fair as they can be. And if you do that, if you look into it, if you look at it that way, you can actually turn it on its head and kind of stand out above the crowd, which I think is what Wistar Group here in Omaha has done. We just embrace it. 
And we're going to get to that more later. I want to talk more about how we can kind of change our image as an industry, why that's important, and how we can actually partner with organizations instead of having that adversary Mm -hmm. uh, relationship, because it really doesn't do anyone any good. But before we get to that, I just want to talk to Paul about some of the areas where he's seeing this higher level of enforcement. So let's just talk about one area, which I didn't know very much about, was reasonable accommodation logs. Yes. Okay, tell us more about what people need to do in these logs. So a reasonable accommodation is where you have a no pets policy at your community, for example, and then you have somebody with a legitimate disability that has been prescribed by a doctor or a therapist or a priest or pastor or somebody. We call them a third reliable third party. They've been prescribed a comfort animal or a therapy animal. So a reasonable accommodation is a request by the tenant that you make an exception to your no pets policy. Very common. And if you're a manager or landlord, you need to know that process. So I started hearing this probably about last October where some of the enforcement action, they were getting written up for not having a log. Uh, Basically, it's just a log that you have. It has five or six entries where you document every request that you get, who the tenant Mm. was, the date of the request, the date that you sent out the verification form to the third, reliable third party to ensure that this person really did tell that tenant that they need, you know, they need this dog or cat. Uh, any subsequent communications that you may have tried to reach that verifier, that third party, because sometimes you'll send out that verification form, they won't return it. Or there's not enough information for you to make your determination, so you gotta follow up with them. That should all be put into a log and kept for a minimum of three years. And and that in and of itself is not a violation where they assess a a penalty. It kind of goes to what you were saying is there's kind of an attitude that you're not embracing the principles of fair housing. Everybody should have this log. And remember, it's sort of like an IRS auditor. They got you by the cojones, right? So and they, you, you can log, I mean, anytime you do log things like that, it really serves as more than anything, a defense. Yes. It means that you have something to demonstrate that you've taken precautions, you have a procedure, and as long as you apply it to everybody equally, you're, it's going to make, it'll make quick work of any sort of a lawsuit that might come. So what if it's, like in our software, we would put that under the prospective tenant, and then we could run a report and find all that information. Is that the same as a log, or yeah. you need like a paper log? No, no, that'd be perfect. You know, it's just it's just a way that you can say that I am taking this serious. And the other thing that it says to the investigator is when somebody makes a reasonable accommodation request, no matter how ridiculous it may ultimately be, I took it serious, and I went through the process. You checked to see if it was reasonable, and Absolutely. it failed in that case. Okay, so in the log, though, um, you, you do need to demonstrate that you're checking all the boxes of your process or your procedure, right? You wouldn't want to forget one, and like if, I, if you had a fair housing violation, and they're looking at one case, and then they see in your log that you forgot to, I don't know, call the, reason, the person to see if it was true or not or whatever. Right. Um, and you forgot that step, would they ding you for a second fair housing violation because you didn't follow the procedure and then when they're digging into one, they see the other violation or they a could. problem? They could, they could reasonably construe that that was treating two different people that made the request differently. Now the log is different from your process. 
you should have a log and then you should also have a written, I like to call it a checklist. The fair housing people like to call it a process or a standard operating procedure. I call it a checklist. It is a check. 10, 12 items that this is what you're going to do to see if this request is reasonable or not. If you're going to deny it, why? If you're going to grant it, you've gone through the process. Okay, so we need to have that. So that's something that you're seeing people get looked up or people are looking for now. And when, when there's an investigation, they're asking. It, it's that. more so, not so much that they're, they're asking for it, in, and some have, but it's more so, it's a way to demonstrate to that investigator that you did take this serious and you went through the entire process and I'm justifying the reason that I, I denied the request. Got it. Or a lot of times what happens is their original request is unreasonable. Doesn't mean, I'll give you an example. We had a, a case that somebody had called me and asked for you know what they would do. And, and it was a case where the reasonable request, the person wanted a cow. <laughs> a cow, like a big moo-moo. <laughs> okay? Man. So, so the request was denied, but then we started that, that discussion, that alternative... Uh, that alternative intercession, which was, how about a dog or a cat or something that we can have uh, in this apartment? So you tried to you tried to negotiate the type of animal. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Again, we're so not that, denying that they they they're not going to get an animal. It's the uh, type of animal. And so I that's just, helpful. That's like working with somebody. And it is important to understand that a contemporary log of anything, whether it's handwritten or whether it's time stamped in in software is amazingly useful because it's what you were thinking at that point in time. Whereas if you were to generate a log later, um, you know, days, weeks, months later, it's not gonna have the same weight. So mm -hmm. if you're taking a log, make sure it's just part of your regular operation. Otherwise, it's not gonna quite do the, it's not gonna protect you as much as it otherwise could. Is this a good time to talk about your emotional support calculator? I did that. <laughs> uh, I, uh, you know, there's that website that you get uh, where we always got these certificates where tenants were saying, hey, I wanted to have this, this dog, generally speaking, or a cat, and it's an emotional support animal. And I, and for a while, we felt like we had to keep saying yes, and I think that was good advice. Then there was a certain ruling, and I started to just say no. When and it was ridiculous. When it was ridiculous. Right. And I, well, if it came from this particular company, it Got was it. a certificate, but it was it, it was <laughs> bullshit. So I called him out on it, and then of course I started getting complaints. They were saying, "Oh, I'm going to sue you for this," and I was like, "Okay, well, we're going to we're going to buckle up because." Yeah, we're going to get sued. And we did. We got sued. And though we also got uh, fair housing involved, but we did everything right. We treated it exactly right. We just had to make sure because one of the stipulations is that that it's reasonable and it's not reasonable to just allow an animal into a house because somebody printed something off of the, the internet. internet and right. paid and, 1999 and, to get right. it. And the strongest argument for that is that it's unfair to the people that actually deserve it. So, but, and also, so to, need it, to clarify say. your opinion is that you took a picture of a calculator and post it and went to the website, paid 1999 or whatever, and then got a certificate for the calculator. Yeah, I, have like, a pet <laughs> I have a pet a certified pet calculator. <laughs> You know what? Well, Andrew did that too at our company. It was funny. It but was great. You, you bring up the, the essential discussion that I have with, with owners. You made the business decision to fight it at a certain point. 
are you willing to do that as a property manager or an owner? Do you have the means to defend it? Because a lot of times, the best defense against a fair housing complaint is not to get one. Yeah, right. And sometimes you allow those things to do that or to, to go that route simply for what in the best interest of the company and the finances at that time. And that's a legitimate concern. And for the industry at large, I mean, you just wanted to set, this was getting so ridiculous with this particular website. You just wanted to set a precedence sure. for you and the community. It's like, okay. And we like, were doing radio at the time. So I was just like, Hey, let's just spread the word because you can definitely fight back on these things. Yeah. So, so that was just, I know, that wasn't exactly what we we're going to talk about, but I just think that's a super funny story. So let's talk about the showing process because you're seeing mm -hmm. um, some very some some big violation issues with the showing process, correct? Yeah, and when I contacted you, like we just talked about the the points, the process for determining what a uh, whether or not you're going to grant a reasonable request. That is pretty new. And in the course that, that I teach, I had to update that particular part of it. The showing side is another part. You really need to have, and again, this is a risk management approach. You need to have a standard script so all your showing agents or all your leasing agents, they ask and say pr pretty much the same thing. And it should be in writing. It should be practiced and trained on. You should have a showing log. And it's okay to use guest, guest information sheets to capture some, some of the data. But yeah, you need to have a standard operating procedure of how each showing goes. Like for example, it should stipulate which apartment that's vacant do you show first? How okay, do you determine that? Okay, explain why. Because it's all about treating people differently if there's a fair housing investigation. So you have Tim, the leasing agent, somebody comes in and says, I wanna see a vacant apartment. He says, great. And he shows this person the ground level apartment. Somebody else comes in and Tina, the leasing agent, shows them a third floor. You have treated, treated these people differently. Mm. And, and that is a, that, that can put you in fair housing jeopardy. And it does. It does. And this way here, you can have a script or a policy that says, our policy is we show, for example, the longest vacant unit first, then the second, longest mm -hmm. vacancy second you know you could do that or you can say listen we we will give a list to the the prospective tenant of all of our vacancies and it'll have the basic amenities how many bedrooms bathrooms and then they decide which one they want to and we do that online do. so you can also what we do is we decide that if they called in because we can track that on a particular property or, or a particular unit that's the one we'll start with and then if you want to spread around the building and go see some other stuff you right. can do that so you've got to articulate that in your your sops then the other tricky issue is the small talk oh yeah so you give give advice on what people should have in their SOPs regarding small talk. So your leasing agents, your showing agents, and if there's any real estate professionals on the sales side, you need to, to do this as well, is have a script on what you're gonna talk about. And we call it that dead period between the time that that person shows up at the clubhouse and you're walking from the clubhouse to the apartment to the vacant apartment or from the curb to the house that dead time you're trying you're just thinking about things i'm going to ask how many kids do you have where do you work those type of things bad it's bad i yes. even read when i was getting ready for this this show that you can't even say like hey what'd you do this weekend oh, i right. went to this church down the street even that is a fair housing it violation is. because it can make the person who you're showing the apartment to feel uncomfortable like you're going to 
want them to go to the same church or be the same religion. So even what did you do this weekend has to be met and written down that your policy is, oh, not much. Well, and I know that sometimes on the phone or, and I've trained some of our agents to be careful that if uh, somebody brings up, oh, you know, I'm going over here, dropping my kids off over at uh, soccer practice this week. Okay. I always make it a point to just say, well, just so you know, I'm not taking into consideration that you have kids for your uh, for your apartment or maintenance issues or anything like that. Just to like, even though they brought it up, um, there's still a chance theoretically that I might be able to incorporate that into a decision making. Yes. So it's useful, I think, for me to just make a barrier that says, just so you know, I'm not taking into consideration, you know, what I just said. It actually feels a little cumbersome doing it, but it's a good practice just because you're making a line. If they are a tester, they know that you know what you're talking about. Yeah, they know that you know the law yeah. and they're less likely to go after you just because they know that you're taking it seriously. Right. right. You bring up a good point and that is usually the showing process. You should have a script of what you're going to talk about, like focus on amenities. So when you're walking from the clubhouse to that apartment, mm. hey, this is a beautiful three-bedroom apartment. It has fresh paint. We just put in carpet. It's a seven-year carpet. It's this, it's that. Have that script ready. And Jeremy, in your situation, this is why it's so important and what I train is each process in your property management company, your showing department, your maintenance department, everybody should be compartmentalized. So Mm -hmm. that leasing agent, even if they slip up something, there's no way because it's compartmentalized, they have no decision-making authority whatsoever in the tenant selection. So it's not gonna cross contaminate. Mm. And you don't allow the person who's doing the tenant selection to go to the leasing agent and say, hey, hey, you're sending me too many many applications. Pre-screen them a little bit. That's simple questions like, hey, do you smoke? Where do you work? Well, you would think it's normal, but if you ask somebody where they work, if they have disability and they can't work, that's a violation. You know, mm, it, yeah. it is so technical anymore. So I actually, we, this is something I'll tout myself on this one. We, uh, whenever someone makes the application, there's a social security number. We take care of that. We run it. But then the actual decision-making is run through a computer. And then, um, if there's any dialogue or anything or any updating to the software, we have a team in Mexico that does up the updates. They don't hear the new, they don't understand so much the uh, the accent because accents can get you in trouble yes. too. They might be, it might be a Latin accent or it might be a uh, uh, an African-American accent. And if it is, those are things you can take into consideration and have ended up in court and the landlords have lost. So all that to just say. Well, even a Southern accent. Be careful. Because there's an implied, Southern, yeah, there, there's an implication that you're Baptist, right? Please. You're Southern Baptist. So if you're a Catholic owner, it, it is. This is what I'm talking about. How technical it can get. You guys at Wistar and, and Anaquim and all of that. You started at Wistar. You have the most effective process for uh, protection against fair housing complaints of any company I've ever seen. I mean that sincerely. That's cool. Wow. We worked on it, but in large part because I knew Paul. And you care. I do feel like your attitude around it is very like positive and work together and you work with nonprofits and you want to learn more. So that's always been kind of your starting place. That's helped a lot. That is a big consideration. That is huge. For example, one of the things I'll do is if I go in and help somebody get compliant, you know, the fair housing poster that you have to have. Yes. I always tell them Uh, you need to have a fair housing poster. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. It has <laughs> to be so 14 you know. by 11 inches, <laughs> right? Here's the thing. Don't be a tight butt, right? 
Have that printed, download and print it on high quality stock paper. Glossy. And have it professionally uh, matted and framed. Make this a staple piece of art in your common area. Put it on the wall along with the other languages that you may have to incorporate. And so when a tester or a legitimate you know, perspective applicant comes in, the first thing they see is that. And they're like, this person is committed to fair housing and the principles. That, I can't tell you how far that goes. Well, here's the other thing that I think is super important. This is where leadership comes in because the everybody working for you gets a vibe and they kind of take after the mm. person that runs the company. And if you're disparaging fair housing, if you're acting like it That's doesn't so matter, yeah. if you're a jerk about it, if you're always saying bad things about people or the nonprofits in the community, that's going to trickle down. They need to know that you care, you see the reason for fair housing, or the people working for you are going to do the wrong thing. If you own a property management company or a real estate company, you like fair housing. Just own it. Yeah. Cost of doing business. So one of the other things, if someone does get a fair housing violation, is they're going to look at the maintenance records. Right. Can you talk about how maintenance gets people in yeah, trouble? How's maintenance racist? Ah, good question. And what they have find what they have found is, <clears throat> and this is legitimate through the through the investigations that landlords like to use maintenance or delayed maintenance to force or encourage a, a tenant that they do not like or want in their community to leave. And a lot of times they are minority groups, someone of a protected class. Remember, we're all a member of a protected class. So whatever their dislike is towards that tenant, they use maintenance as the weapon. And so if there is an investigation that's non-maintenance related, it could be a showing process relation, the investigator is still gonna dive into the maintenance records to make sure that there's no discrimination going on. And most landlords, most property managers, their maintenance process is horrid. So what can ma so what can property managers do to make sure that they don't get caught up in this through maintenance? Number one, train your staff. Uh, number two is you need to make sure you have an objective standard operating procedure. Everything from when you first receive a, a request for maintenance, how does that get cataloged or categorized? Uh, you know, is it is it an emergency? Is it routine? Have and have that in your SOP. So this is an emergency. This is routine. Well, and I want to go back to the training for one second because we had, we made it was kind of a trick years ago. What we did is we made our maintenance technicians take real estate uh, recurring what's that CE coursework uh, for fair housing because right. it was thorough. Now, they, it wasn't working obviously towards their license because they didn't have a license, but all of the um, topics uh, and that they took the course was a way for us, and the certificate was a way to show that, hey, our maintenance technicians, all of them have had this coursework. So then that puts the, the burden on, it takes it off of the company essentially. Well, it makes it neutral is what it does. And this is another area where the maintenance people can get in trouble running their mouths, oh, right? Yes. Jesus. So they're in Shut there. Shut the hell up. <laughs> Don't say, so basically we want to have rules at all of our property management companies to not have a personality. Like, <laughs> leave your it personality for your colleagues, but we have no per no flair, no special personal style. Leave your style at home, leave it at the bar, leave it with your colleagues, but don't have a personality when you're talking to tenants. Three major areas I, I think is a minimum. Number one is 
You never enter a dwelling where there's a minor child Oof, ever. Absolutely not. Number right. two is don't engage in conversation. If the tenant is looking over your shoulder and they keep talking to you, let them talk uh-huh, uh-huh, and never answer questions. Your standard answer for everything should be, even if you know the answer, you're going to have to call the main, the main desk. You're going to have to call the main desk. And one of two things are going to happen. Either the maintenance or either the tenant is going to get tired of it and they're going to be done or they're going to continue to do it because that's how they're wired and you just you keep doing it. But answering questions, offering favors, hey, can you get this off the shelf for me? That's all considered treating the tenant differently. Because you that that same technician or anybody in the company might not do the extra work for somebody else. And if they don't, was it racism? And then oh. so if you don't have those protections in place like education, then that comes back onto the agency or the broker and you get sued. Wow. You, every person in your property management company needs to receive annual fair housing. Absolutely. Every year, even the bookkeeper, even your third party contractors. So if you have Roto-Rooter or, or an electrician or whatever, if you have enough leverage, if you're big enough and you use them enough, you can kind of leverage that to say you have to take our training. Smaller companies, it's a little less, it's harder to do, but you should at least try and at least document it because if your electrician goes in and does something that violates fair housing against that resident, you're on the hook for it. Wow. And, okay. and they do. The investigator comes in. The first question almost all of them ask is, I need to see your documentation for training. One of the first yeah. questions they mm. ask. And mm. then most times uh, they don't have any. In, and so then the investigation Ugh. is on. They can ask any question and they already know that you have no defense. If that investigator comes in and sees the poster that's matted and framed on the wall, then they come in and ask for the documentation. You hand them a stack of a certificates. That whole investigation goes differently. And I'll, I just want to repeat at this very moment that it's not that you do all this stuff to protect yourself necessarily. It's you do this stuff because it's actually the right thing to do. Because right. nobody wants to Well, And the right thing to anyone. do isn't always the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it that way, you do actually distinguish yourself as a better uh, property manager and that shows up later on in interviews with clients or not having had lawsuits to pay out it's just better it's just better to embrace it and our industry needs a facelift so that's a good point (laughs) if we could just embrace um the the laws work with the investigators try to do our best to be professional and good to everybody it really improves things for our industry our companies and um, the community at large okay i want to go over just really quick the maintenance what they need to make sure they do so that they're not at risk of a maintenance fair housing um, risk the main thing is delayed maintenance so yes but how do you make sure if you're using vendors sometimes it does get delayed because the yes. vendor's late so how do they protect themselves so in your SOP your standard operating procedure you should have what do you do if a part doesn't come in when they said it was well you got to communicate communicate that to the resident this is where people get ticked off and they think mm. that you're just you know circle jerking me and <laughs> right and can I say that yeah on? yeah it's you good. Know, you you're that. talking about the band <laughs> But seriously, then they get upset. They feel like, well, is he, is this property manager, are they doing it because I'm a Latino family or because it legitimately it was put on back order? Communication is the key. You so it's just about customer that. service at the Thank end of the you. day. Well, and, yes. by, and actually, some people actually just lever these, or, these organizations, yeah. fair housing organizations, just to get back at you. 
Yeah, they for, and they and they are, I mean, we've had some cases brought against us that are just stupid. They made no sense. Think you know, we had all the defend, easily defendable, but people are out there just like it's their version of a bad review. Absolutely. Okay, I I don't mean to switch the subject, but we want to keep the fair housing uh, episode a little bit on the shorter side, just because it's fair housing. But um, <laughs> I want to talk about ADA okay. and websites because you yes. blew my mind when That's we good. were talking about this earlier, and I don't think anybody knows about what we have to be cautious of regarding our websites. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. So it's always been a rule that your websites have to be Americans with Disabilities that's com- Americans with Disability Act compliant. ADA compliant is what we call it. That's not a fair housing issue, it's ADA, but the process is the same and the penalties are actually greater than fair housing. So every real estate website needs to be ADA compliant, which clu- includes the ability for visually and hearing impaired viewers to be able to view it just as effectively as you or I who have good hearing and we can see. It also has to be compliant for persons that have limited hand or arm movement. And the third one is those with learning disabilities have to be able to use it just as effectively as you or I. There's a lot to that requirement. So here's what I would tell you is, and if you got a pen, write this down. If you have a website, you need to to write this down. It's called Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. And there's an acronym, it's WCAG. That is the guideline that you need to ask your web developer. It's the 2.1 it version, right? There's different versions, they and update I, it. It is in the show notes if anybody wants details. I wrote it down. Damn and it. it's level double A. Level double A. Level double A. So Web Content Accessibility Guidelines 2.1, level double A. Make sure that you call your web developer and say, is my website in compliance? Now, one of two things are going to happen. The web developer is going to say, uh, what? It's going to be like Beavis and Butthead. Basically, your website is not compliant. Probably not. Right. So it is on the web developer to look this up. And if they go to do a simple Google search, you'll have the guidelines and they are extensive. It requires a lot of programming or plugins to do this. It's going to be expensive. But um, you told me, so when we were talking about this, you told me about some news stories about what can happen to your small business if you don't comply. Oh my gosh. Also, links links to that are in the show notes. Uh Watch them. But you scared me. Well, there's people that are making a living and a damn good living just doing the complaints, filing the complaints against Domino's and Walmarts and everybody. It was crazy. And then I looked at what is needed. So I went, I did a deep dive and I went on the website to look at the requirements. And then I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? And then there were some example websites. Oh my God, the examples are crazy. Like you have to have everything. Make sure that your website doesn't cause seizures. Make sure that um, it's for ADHD people. Like, that's pretty extensive requirements. It is. The requirement's been around for many years. The Obama administration really didn't enforce it. Neither did the Trump administration. The Biden administration, it's early on, it's showing that they're going to be very active in enforcing it. And then there are people making a living doing this. So is there any way that you could do like a cheapo version where you say, if you have disabilities, call this number and we'll walk you through the website? Boy, that's dangerous. Why? I, I I don't know how, I don't know. That's never been vetted to my knowledge. I'd hate to be the case of first impression. And, and you know, the interesting thing is, Gwen, is a lot of property managers, when they find out how much it's going to cost to do the updates, 
they're opting to do away with their websites and just use like the YouTube and the social media platforms uh, as an alternative. Which wow. nowadays websites aren't as useful, but but still the landing page for where you're going to ha- store your images and videos and all that stuff, that's got to be in a controlled environment. But, but I can see where especially less sophisticated outfits might do that. Well, if you have a blog with tons of content on right? it, now you're in for it. Anyway, it was just interesting. I had not heard of that. I was super excited that I you never trained me on, on it. it because no one was enforcing it. Now all of a sudden, bam. Yeah. Yeah, and and it is hitting small companies. Okay, so I just want to thank you so much for talking to us today about fair housing. Can you give us a little plug about um, your educational content, how people find you? Sure, you can go to the YouTube channel, the the real estate classroom.com or you just I'm on I'm on Facebook I'm on social media drop me an email Paul at yeah yeah Paul Vicheski just spell it out it's spell it like it sounds well I still have an AOL account Jesus he does pvoj at aol.com it doesn't get any simpler than that and the course still go I love that that's so erotic when you do that you click on it goes you have mail reminds you yeah Does Email it say porn, that? right? Oh, it does, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so I, I just recently did some updates, not because there was big changes in fair housing, because of the enforcement aspect, which required a change. And, and I offer training if you need sensitivity training, if you need annual fair housing training. It's typically between, between two and a half and three hours long. Uh, that's the introduction course. I do have some deep dive ones for like maintenance staff specifically, leasing agents specifically, those types of, of issues. Is it arise. only Nebraska or is it no, all? No, it's I do oh, across I the didn't country. Know that. Okay. Oh, I guess you do travel quite a bit. Okay, good. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I just want to get back to our book. So, giveaway. yeah, to participate in the book giveaway, just uh, go to our YouTube channel and click uh, the link in the description of the episode or visit our Instagram at Bootstrapper Show uh, and click uh, the link in the bio. The book is actually one of my books. I'm kind of a geek about this stuff, but no. it's called, yeah, yeah, it's called Scale. It's the first I've ever heard of this. <laughs> it's actually, you gotta get, it's, it's really interesting, but it's called Scale, the Universal Laws of Life and Death in Organisms, Cities, and Companies. It's by Jeffrey West. And that book, it's fun, because he's a, he is a physicist turned biologist, and he applies the math to those two things. He layers it over municipalities, and there's these really, it's three-quarter scaling. It's fascinating stuff. Um, I'm sure I turned you on to it. That book is- I feel like I need to get some suspenders on, some nerd glasses with some tape in the middle. And read it. It is a (laughs) fantastic book. your producer Matt's going, whoa, what? He just woke him up. Anyway, I love that book. It's my favorite book, and that's why we put it on for this one. Unless you have a favorite book. What's your favorite book? Oh, boy. That means I got to read. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again, Paul. We really appreciate you being on the show. And that's a wrap for this episode of Bootstrappers. This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand how the world turns. Contact Gwen or Jeremy at posts at bootstrappers.club or visit our website, anaquim.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and our YouTube channel. Thank you and join us next time for Bootstrappers.